Thank you so much for joining us today. We'd love to know how this ministry is impacting your life. So please take a moment and email us at mystory at cowboyjunctionchurch.com. Also, if you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can visit our website at cowboyjunctionchurch.com and click Give. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Today's really cool. I get to kind of kick off after CG. I thought CG did an amazing job last week. An amazing job. So with it, we're going to kick off today's message about containers and content. And would you join me in prayer? Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Come, teach us, guide us, show us. Holy Spirit, I confess to you that I have nothing these people came for, but every one of them came to have an encounter with you. Even unbelievers, people who have never heard of you before, there is a deep calling down deep in their hearts saying, I really wish something could be said in my life that could fill me. Uh, the, there's some things just don't com, com, compare. I need something. So today, Holy Spirit, may we all have an encounter with you. We love you. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're talking about Solomon, and uh, I want you to go to uh, uh, is it, is it 1 Kings chapter 10, 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1. Uh, if you've got your Bible, if you've got your smart devices, turn them on. I encourage everyone to bring their uh, iPhones, iPads, uh, anything you got. Turn the ringer off while you're at it, while you got it. And, and, and this is a really important portion of Scripture. This is our mini-series on Solomon. We've been talking about Solomon, the goods and the bads. We're kind of moving into the bad part at this point. And CG kind of touched on it a little bit last week. And it kind of leads into what I wanted to show you today because this incredible encounter takes place to one of the most popular queens of all time heard of the wisdom, fame, and riches of Solomon. She made this long journey, the Queen of Sheba. And, and the story goes like this. It says, Now when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. Now that's very important. The, the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. She came to test him with hard questions. It's really cool. It's a great sentence. She came to Jerusalem with a very great, re, re, that thing, with, with camels that bore spices, uh, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all of her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his tables, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and his entryway by which he went up to and uh, in which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Then she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until now, until I came and saw with my own eyes, and indeed the half uh, was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceeded the fame of which I heard. 
Happy are your men, and happy are your servants. Though that's a very important part I want you to remember. And I may come back to it, but I want you to remember what I'm talking about. The wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame in which I heard. Happy are your men, and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord, your God, who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. The reason this jumps out is because I think everybody in anything that they do for the Lord wants this type of report about whatever you're doing for the Lord. Come on, let's think about this. If we're all going to sit back and go, I would really like to be the person that God wants me to be. And then you begin the journey of becoming the person that God wants you to be. Whether it's you as a mom, whether it's you as a dad, whether it's you even bigger. Let's just go from there. A business owner, perhaps as a pastor, the, the church that you pastor. Uh, maybe we go from there into the type of politician you are, the type of leader you are, the type of, of woman that you become, the type of man that you become. Wouldn't it be cool if in anything we put our hands to for the Lord, we got a report like the Queen of Sheba gave about Solomon's life? I had heard, but it wasn't the half of what I just experienced. You answered every question I had. To see not only your success, to see not only what you you do, it is true that God is truly the God of Israel and isn't as amazing. It's not just you, Solomon, but your men are happy and your people are happy and everyone in Jerusalem is okay. Wouldn't that be a cool report if someone walks into your house and said, I just heard about how you raise kids. But man, when I walked into your house and saw it for myself, I just thought, holy moly, God is the God of the beans. (laughs) Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool? To walk into a church and go, I've only heard about a church. And I was skeptical. I'm like, okay, whatever, whatever. I've heard this about church before. And to walk in and go, before I walked in, I didn't believe. And when I walked in and saw it for myself, it's like, there is a God. Okay? Wouldn't it be cool to have that kind of report? Now, the reason why I open that up, because the story continues. In fact, uh, in in verse 13, it's not going to show up on the screen. It says, now King Solomon gave the Queen of Sheba all all she desired, whatever she asked, besides what Solomon had given her according to the royal generosity. And so God, excuse me, Solomon turns and returns the favor to the Queen of Sheba. There is an amazing transformation of friendship that is built But the Queen of Sheba only experienced what was happening in Jerusalem. The story continues, and this is the part that I really want you to pay attention to. In verse 14, it begins to talk about the annual tribute that is given to Solomon every year. Tributes from surrounding communities, neighbors, cities, people like the Queen of Sheba come such a long ways to experience it for themselves. How much are we talking here? It says that the weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly, everybody say yearly, just so we're on the same page, was 666 talents of gold. Now somebody in the room is going, ding, 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 what's wrong with that number? Okay, we'll get to that here in a minute. But how much is 666 talents of gold? Besides that, from the traveling merchants, from the income of the traders, from all the kings of Arabia, 
and from the governors of the country, all these people paying an annual tribute to him of $2.5 billion a year. $2.5 billion a year. The reason why I want to point this out is because we've set this stage pretty high. Solomon has just been bragged on, on the Queen of Sheba, and the whole city's walking around with their chest out a little bit. Then whoever's telling this story begins to shift the story, and if you're a good little rabbi, good little Jewish boy, and you're reading this story, all of a sudden it goes from, I want to be like Solomon when I grow up, to all of a sudden begins to talk about his treasure and the number 666 talents, and a good little Jewish boy will go, whoa, 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 whoa. What number did he just use? And the story continues, and it talks about in verse 24, like almost a braggadocious state, and this is kind of how Solomon did business, and that's how it's kind of being written. Now, all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom with God, which God had put in his heart. Each man brought his present articles of silver and gold, garments, armor, spices, horses, mules, at a set rate year by year by year and by year. But listen closely. And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king of Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamore which are in the lowlands. Also, Solomon had horses imported from Egypt, and Kaveh, the king's merchants brought, bought them in Kaveh at the current price. Now a chariot that was imported from Egypt cost 600 shekels of silver and a horse 150. And thus, through their agents, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. Now, if you're ever reading the story of Solomon, this is probably the part that you skip over. Or maybe you just kind of do the brain forget while you read. Have you ever read an entire chapter and then realized you weren't listening to what you were reading? Yes. And this is the portion of of, of the Scripture that you could just kind of read over and go, what's the big deal about this? This is why we all gather for church. I love church, not to get people here, but because this is the part to where we sit down and we talk about what we just read. This portion explains to us The Queen of Sheba seen the magnitude of Jerusalem under the leadership of King Solomon. But then the story begins to shift for those who have ears to hear. And then it gets right down to something that many of us could miss, but we've got to pay attention to. It's the fact that Solomon has gathered so much chariots and so many horsemen. Solomon has even imported from Egypt and Kaveh more chariots and more horses. And with these horses, at a certain price, he purchased them. He sells them to other communities at a greater price. And he purchased them, and he sells them. To give you an idea, he turns to Egypt and Kaveh and says, I have more money than anyone. I will quit buying from you if you, don't make, if you stop making me the only person who can buy from you. So what, in essence, is Egypt is known for the horses and their chariots. And he's made a deal with Egypt that you can only sell to me. 
And then by selling to Solomon, then Solomon turns and sells to the other communities. Solomon, in essence, has become an arms dealer. Solomon, in all intents and purposes, is taking the latest state-of-the-art technology and dealing it out to other communities to make a profit. Now, this is where things get interesting, because if we're the normal American, we stand up and go, what's the big deal about that? That's kind of how we made America. America's great. But I want you to stop for a minute, and let's just take the American flag off the pole, fold it up gently, and stick it in a safe, secure, wonderful place. And let's not talk about the United States. Let's talk about the kingdom of God. Because in all intents and purposes, every person is in this room today to get a greater understanding about how God wants us to live our life, not how our opinions are. In this one story, we see that Solomon has become an arms dealer, and his wealth has become great. Now, if you pay attention to Deuteronomy, and Deuteronomy is a fantastic book. In fact, the first five books of the Old Testament are considered sacred writings. The first five books of the Old Testament are considered the Torah or the Pentateuch. And in Deuteronomy 17, chapter 14, I want you to look at this portion of Scripture. This that I'm about to read to you was Moses' instruction from God about the principles of the governing kings. At the present time this was written, there were no kings in Israel. But God knew that eventually one day there would be a king in Israel. And so while Moses was leading the children of Israel, now think about that story. The children that just came out of slavery, the children that just came out of bondage, and the children of Israel who just got chased by chariots and horses. Moses stops and gives the instruction in Deuteronomy and says, when you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, are they there? Yes. According to Solomon, they are there, and they are prospering. And possesses it and dwells in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren. You shall set a king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Doesn't that make sense? But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. This was written many, 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 many years before Solomon was even a twinkle in his mother's eye. And God instructs Moses to write this down and says, make sure when you get to where I want you to, you prosper, but do not get more than this many horses, this many chariots, and by all means, don't go back to buying horses or even doing anything with the horses from the land that just puts you under so much bondage and oppression. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall we multiply wives for ourselves. Solomon, dang. Lest your heart turn away. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Now you may say, well, maybe Solomon didn't know. Also I shall be, also this will be, when he sits on the throne of the kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book, which means 
May he copy word for word, jot and tittle everything in this book so that not only that he reads it, but he also wrote it so he can know it. For the one before the priests, the Levites, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart, everybody say heart, may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom and his children in the midst of Israel. We've been covering this topic of content and containers, and we've reached the point to where we notice what happens to a container if we allow the wrong content inside of us. And now, all of a sudden, we see something that's kind of fascinating. These people, Israel, who were once the slaves, who were once the oppressed, are now the oppressors. Come on, let's think about this. A group of people who knew what it was like to be whipped on a daily basis. A group of people who knew what it was like to have horses and chariots chase after them. A group of people who understand what it's like to have a master. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, they received a slave mentality. To then allow God to deliver them. And then not only that, for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness so that they could be reprogrammed, if you will. And in it, God delivered them from a slave mentality into the kingdom of God and his plan for them. Every day reminding them, I'm bringing you to the promised land. I'm bringing you, I'm your God that's bringing you to the promised land. To then get to the promised land and experience the, 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 the wheat and the, the honey, the milk and honey experience. To then come to the place of true prosperity to only then turn, turn and become the oppressors over other people. The slaves now were the slave owners. Why is this so important? Because if you look in the history of our history, and you go all the way back to moments like this, one of the reasons people struggle living for God or wanting to live for God, or maybe they carry with them an a atheist mentality. It's not that they are necessarily atheists, but I have struggled with issues in the Bible. This is one of the areas that people struggle with. Because, as you begin to find out, Solomon built the temple, his house, and all the community on the backs of slaves. In fact, there was 80,000 slaves that cut the stone, and there were 70,000 slaves that carried the stone. And Israel profited because of it. When you look at the content and container of Solomon, one person sees prosperity and, oh my gosh, God is with you. But there was 150,000 people who said, I wish you could see us and how they're treating us. Here's the facts, and it's something we need to talk about today. What you do affects other people. Did you know that? I know you've told your kids that, but did you know that? Sometimes in a small town like we do, like we grow up in, who we are, we miss the idea that we affect anybody. I mean, if I was to ask you, what does your ripple look like? you would say that your ripple's not very big. And I would agree in that there's not a lot of ripple in me, 
But I do have a ripple, just like you have a ripple. And something that I've taught my children recently, but I had to realize that for every finger I point at my kids, there's three more pointing back at me, is the fact that tithing, what you do, affects other people. But deeper than that, it's what you do tells what God's done in you. Meaning that what God's done in me should shine out in the people that I run in contact with. And people who run in contact with me don't want to hear how much I know God. They'd rather see how much I know God. What I do affects people. Let's do something real quick. You may think your ripple's not that big, but we're going to break out of our shell this morning. What big of a ripple are you? How much of an influence on you? And what if I said that every person in this room has a ripple effect? Every person in this room is affecting the globe. And here I'll give you a reason. We're going to do something fun, okay? You're going to have to break out of your norm. You're the 830 crowd, so y'all are just going to have to suck it up, buttercup. Are you ready? Okay, so everybody finds something. I want you to find something on your garment bag, in your purse, in your wallet, in your back of your shirt, something on you that says made in blank, okay? No more sitting around. If I'll call you up on this stage if you don't start looking around right now. I want you to look, and, and I want you to start hollering the name out, okay? As soon as you get one, holler out. Made in where? China. China. Where? USA. a boy. Where? USA. Where? USA. USA. Okay. Go deeper. Come on, find me. What, what, look at your husband's collar. India? Holy moly. Pakistan? China? There's no Mexico? Maybe, maybe somebody should say, I was made in Mexico. Mexico? Okay, good. Good. <laughs> Walmart, I love it. I love it. Really, Cambodia? Did you ever stop in your life to figure out just how much of a global impact you have? Just the people who put that piece of garment in your hands. Have you ever asked how it got to you? I have not. I am more interested in what it cost me. Was it cheap enough? Price is a contributing factor to the beans budget. I'm telling you right now. Does price influence you? Yes. Would you like to keep the money in your pocket? But here's the deal. Is that if it's only about us, we'd miss who it's affecting. And the fact is that everyone deserves a fair price. You too. You too. But if we're not careful, we put our needs over somebody else's oppression. And we don't take into consideration that we, whether we know it or not, are being judged on our content. CG said something last week about J.D. Brown, who's our missionary, who turned to a man in Africa and said, we'd like to pray for you before we go. We'd like to pray for you in your poverty. And the man turned and said, I do not want you to pray for me, this old African man. And he said, we're actually going to pray for you, that you don't pray for our poverty, that we actually pray for your prosperity. And sometimes I think we want prosperity, but at what point does our content change our container? And we don't realize that just like Solomon, we see ourselves wanting to grow and wanting to grow and wanting to grow. But the real fact is, is that Solomon in the kingdom he was a part of was not anymore about God's kingdom, but it was now an anti-kingdom. 
It was all about Solomon and the people being happy. Solomon and the people being happy. Because remember, when the queen of Sheba turned and said, Solomon, not only do I see that what God's doing in you, but every person I see is happy. Isn't that cool? But she only met everyone inside the walls of Jerusalem. Because it was outside the walls of Jerusalem that people were suffering for the happiness of Jerusalem. People have heard of, people in those days had heard of the God of Israel, but they weren't impressed with the God of Israel because of the people of Israel. How did they build the temple and the palace and the walls? The slaves were now the slave owners. And it didn't go, it didn't stop just there. Solomon then turned and welcomed 700 wives and 300 concubines. And that's just comical. I mean, that's just, that's just I'm, I'm stopping right there. Before we get into the 700 wives and 300 concubines and what that must have looked like and, you know, this and this and this, let's stop. The reason why the numbers even come up is because the real issue on the 700 wives and the 300 concubines is they turned Solomon's heart away from God. Prosperity caused Solomon to turn away from God's plan for not only the kingdom, but the world. Does anybody know what systemic evil is? Systemic is a word that I want you to write down, and I want you to get to know. And it's this, it, it, Heather always warns me, don't use big words. I, this one only has so many letters, so I didn't consider it a big word. It's a powerful word, and systemic is this word representing a system that is ingrained in people's lives. Meaning, it's systemic. It, it's to the point to where the people don't remember the right way because this is how the system's been doing it for years. And systemic evil is when people just lose the complete idea of the way it should be because this is the way we've always done it. And systemic evil or systemic sin is this moment to where we've just done it so long this way and no one said anything and none of us are willing to change. And if you look at the stories of the Bible, systemic sin and systemic kingdom is this major thing because when we start talking about God's people, we're talking sometimes about generations and generations and generations. When I say systemic slavery, you're talking 400 years plus of people who taught their kids, 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 kids that we're slaves, all we're ever going to be is slaves. We're gonna, you just wake up in the morning and break, make bricks. Wake up in the morning and make bricks. Wake up in the morning and make bricks. And when God had to change the systemic evil in them to show them the kingdom of God, there was a complete lifestyle change that came with that deliverance. For us, sometimes we need to realize that we have an opportunity to stop and ask, why do I do what I do? Why do the beans do what they do? A minute ago when I asked you to check your collar and check the tag, ask where it came from. How often have you ever done that in your lifetime purposely? Not accidentally, not like where you're folding clothes and you go, oh, dang, Thailand. How often do you stop and say, that was pretty expensive? 
before I wanted it and got it, did I even ask how it got to me? And those are the questions that sometimes I think, as God's people, we got to start asking. Because when it really comes down to it, you are the top richest people, the top 2% of the richest people in the world are in this room right now. Does anybody in this room own a car? You are the top 5% of the richest people in the world. Does anybody in the room own two cars? You are now the top 2.5% of the richest people in the world. And we sit back and can only think about what we don't have instead about what we do have. Let me give you an example. Several years ago, I fell in love with a beautiful young girl from Hobbs, New Mexico. And this young cowboy started thinking about, did I want to go to Ropens as much as I wanted to marry her? Because both were expensive. Okay? Yeah. And the expensive part is, is I started to have to make priorities the main thing. And I needed to get a ring on this girl before somebody else scooped her up. I was born at night, but not last night. And I could, I could see the wind. Clay and I entered the watermelon roundup in Plains, Texas. And, and uh, I wore my buckle. Because that day in, in Plains, Texas, in, in, two, in, 2000, in 2000, we won all three ropens at the watermelon roundup. Yeah. Frank, I think you contributed to this buckle. I appreciate it. Yeah. On the drive home, Dan Harden's driving, Clay's in the back, and Jess Tierney's behind me, and I'm in the front. And we were talking about how incredible the day was. And I turned around, and to my three good buddies that day, I said, guys, you know what this means? And they didn't have a clue. And I said, I get to go home, and I get to buy a wedding ring. And everyone in the truck started hooping and hollering, and Dan had this big old smile on his face, and, and we just celebrated I bought Heather a wedding ring. It was only a couple years later that, I, number one, I, I realized how much a wedding ring was, but it was a couple years later that this terminology kept coming up in the news and in articles I would read, and it was the wording blood diamonds. Has anybody ever heard of blood diamonds before? Jerry has. Jerry's a jeweler. Yeah. I had never heard of it before in my life. In fact, it kind of bothered me. That something so beautiful like diamond could be related to something like blood. Blood diamond is the terminology for the black market diamonds which covered a majority of the diamond sales in the world. Where nobody asked where the diamonds came from, everybody just wants a diamond. And the story on blood diamonds is, is that they came from mines where children were the miners and paid pennies to unearth the greatest riches to have been sold through brokers to get to a major diamond company to then turn to you and it becomes the ring on your finger. To give you an example of what a blood diamond is, I brought this sword. You are on this end and your grip is here. You want to propose to your bride and you're willing to pay what's expected to be paid for you to be able to give your bride what she's worth. In fact, that's kind of a sales slogan. What's a diamond cost? Well, what's she worth to you? That's manipulation, by the way. <laughs> so here you are wanting 
this diamond. So you go to a major diamond company and say, I want a ring. But the diamond company got it from a broker. And the broker got it from an army. And the army got it from a miner. And the miner told a seven-year-old boy to crawl into a very dark, wet pit. And if he drowned, we can find another child. But if you got that diamond, we'll feed you today. All the while, I'm holding this end of the sword. All the while, a seven-year-old boy is standing on this end of a sword. And if you feel guilty, I did too. And it's because, as Americans, we're not told to ask how. We're just, at, we're just told to keep asking. Come on, who am I talking to? The fact is, is that you, what you do affects other people. And just by simply walking with your eyes open and asking, where did it come from? It could answer a lot of questions you don't know. Who was asking in Solomon's days? What's going on with all of the horses and the chariots? And what are the people doing with the horses and chariots that we're selling the horses and chariots to? Under our prosperity, who suffers for it? The funny thing was, the people never saw, but God got angry. God got furious. Next week, we're going to talk about the fury of God and this particular story, and it's fascinating. It's not to bring guilt and shame on anybody. I think sometimes, and I, I, and as a pastor, I notice, sometimes people just don't know. But today's message causes us as people to stop and pause and ask, why do I do what I do? How do I do what we do? I just came from a wedding. I love weddings. I'm a pastor. I love weddings of people that I love. But one of the things I notice about weddings is they can become just as manipulative as anything else. I think flowers are beautiful. I think diamonds are gorgeous. I'm for all of them. In fact, I'm for venues and I'm for DJs. I, I, I'm for bringing out an 80s cover band. We need more 80s cover bands. Yes. There are people who can afford those things. And there are people who learn how to afford them because of the pressure of them. Let me turn to you as your pastor and say that in my 19 years of being a pastor here at Cowboy Junction, I have done five weddings in my office. And the same paper we wrote on is the same paper we wrote on in my office and at major extravagant weddings. And they're still married to this day. The size of your wedding does not determine the success of your wedding. And the size of your band does not determine the success of your future. In fact, I just want to say, I sometimes think we put too much pressure on young brides to do things bigger than maybe the neighbors have. And sometimes we should stop and pause and ask, what is the most important in this situation? And I love all the things I just mentioned. Flowers, DJs, good pastors doing your wedding. 
But the fact is, it really boils down to it. If we stop long enough and realize that our content should dictate our container instead of allowing our container to dictate our content. I'm going to wrap this up. Jesus gives a great parable, and it's your homework. And a part of your homework is this moment to where you can look at this parable about barns. And the story is told, and we don't know if it's a real story or an example story, but Jesus tells this story, and he says, Once upon a time, a man made more money in a year than he'd ever made in his life because all the right conditions happened. The rain fell when it was supposed to. The seed was in the ground, and he had the largest harvest he'd ever had. And now, with the barns full and him having more access, excess than he's ever had, he asked a question. What do I do with all the extra? The man thought long and hard and came up with this conclusion. I know what I'm going to do with the extra that I have. I'm going to build more barns. And Jesus said, you fool. You fool. When it comes down to it, barns are awesome. Would you agree barns are awesome? Everybody should have a barn. But Jesus turns and says, just because one good year happened, look what you could have done with it instead of more barns. Sometimes bricks get in the way of real kingdom. And sometimes I wonder if bricks get in the way of the kingdom that God's trying to do in our life. I go back to it. What you do affects other people. But I ask you this. Are you a part of a system or are you a part of a kingdom? Because if we're truly a part of God's kingdom, Bricks matter to a point. But then it comes to the point to where no amount of bricks could ever encompass God's plan at work. Sometimes we've got to realize where we are isn't as bad as what we think it is. But what we could do where we're at is pretty amazing. Which end of the handle do you hold? And now all of a sudden there's a lot of questions. I could make a difference because I am the consumer with who stands at the end of this blade. Uh, it is so great to have a jeweler as a personal friend and to trust somebody to know his heart, to be able to walk me through things that I don't know about. How are you willing as God's people to be a part of a kingdom instead of a system? Next week, we're going to cover bricks. And I want to take a look at the history of bricks in the story of life. Starting from Genesis to Solomon, we're going to look at bricks next week. Father, we love you. And today, Lord, I just thank you for who you are. I pray today with all of my heart that every one of us would start considering how we treat our neighbors. Not only our neighbors next door, but also our neighbors across the border, north and south. Also our neighbors across the world. We as small town people, sometimes we don't think we have a big ripple. But the fact is, is that our ripple affects a lot of people. Father, today I pray that you would tender our hearts and open our eyes and make us aware of who you are and what you want to be. 
Lord, if there's anything in my life that is anti-kingdom or even systematic, systemic sin, Father, would you convict me of it? Because I want to be in your kingdom. We want to be in your kingdom. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Cowboy Junction, it's time for us to love God, love people, and have no limits in our life. I love you. Jesus loves you. Don't you ever forget it. God bless you guys. Have a great week in the Lord. See you later.